0: Hey, I'm so glad that you've joined us for our weekend experience. And as you heard at the very beginning, there's information down below. So if you'll check that in the description, you'll find all kinds of links and things that are going to help you take the next step and uh, just really moving one step closer to Jesus. Also, we'd love for you to just hit that subscribe button, because that'll allow you to get notifications of when uh, new videos and new weekend services come online. So make sure to subscribe and to follow us. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Kings. Now, you probably don't go there very often. It's in kind of the middle of the Old Testament, but I want you to find it. And here's here's the big clue. It's right after 1 Kings. Super easy to find. I want you to get to 2 Kings chapter 6. And we're gonna continue on in this series we're calling Questions. Well, over these past few weeks, I've been scrolling through my news feed in the morning, just kind of like one of the things that I do. And I've come across some headlines that I wanna share with you. Uh, here are some of them. It's too early to feel safe. New terror jitters. Fear on the home front. Living with fear. Job jitters, insecurity abounds and a sudden need to feel secure. I think in in so many ways, those headlines capture the deep feelings and the fears that we've probably all been struggling through. And in this series we're looking at this summer, we've, we've called it Questions. And what we're doing is we're going to the Bible and looking at the actual questions that people ask God, the questions that God asked of people, and even the questions that people asked of each other. But as I continue to read through my news feed, some of the headlines were questions that our culture is asking. And these again were were news headlines, things like, will we ever be safe again? Are your kids safe online? How scared should you be? New info on vaccines and what price security? I don't know if you noticed the theme in all of those. But I can tell you this, is that our culture, and really by default us as individuals, we're concerned with safety and security. And there's a good reason for that. We live in a crazy world. We're living in uncertain times. And so think about the things that have become just kind of a normal part of our existence. That I know I'm getting older, but when I was growing up, very few of these things really existed. We have things like alarm systems, not just in buildings and in high secure areas, but literally in our homes. We have motion detectors. We have ring doorbells so we can see on our phones who's at the door. We we put up fences and we have dogs and we have surveillance cameras. Isn't it crazy? Some of you have CCW permits just, just to be secure and safe for you and your family. And again, as I said, we can even track what's going on in our homes right, right from our phones. It, it, it's like a science fiction movie that, that's come to life. But the thing is, is that during unsettling times, all of us want some sense of peace and safety, security. It's even another word that maybe we don't use as often, but this word of sanctuary Now, the dictionary defines sanctuary as a place of refuge or safety. And that's exactly what we look for when things are a little bit crazy, when things are a little bit uncertain, when things are unpredictable. We want a sanctuary. We want a place of safety. So today, we're going to talk about a man who had every reason to panic, but he didn't. And you know why? He had a a sanctuary. He had a a place of safety. He had a refuge. And what we're going to find as we read this story, that it wasn't an actual location. It was, I don't know that I'd always put it this way, but a state of being. It was who he was with that gave him sanctuary and that gave him safety and security. And really, due to what's going on around us, we have reasons to panic. And to feel, at times, maybe anxious or or afraid. But I will tell you this, as we connect to Christ, and as we find sanctuary in his presence, the thing is, we have a safe place available. We have peace right in the middle of a storm. Now, back when we started the series, the first question we looked at, uh, I shared with you, came from the book of Acts. If you remember back in June, we looked at the story about how Paul and Silas were in chains. They were in prison after being arrested and beaten and thrown in there. And here they were in the middle of the night, and they're singing worship songs. I know it sounds a little bit crazy because you think at this point they'd be going, I don't know that I can do this anymore. I don't know what the use is of this anymore. But instead, they're singing worship to God. They're thanking God. And there's this sense as you read it that, that everyone else in this prison and probably the jailer who lived probably, you know, next door or even as a part of this jail and prison could hear these guys singing. And it was, it was crazy. And then an earthquake hit. And here's what's amazing. All the doors of this jail, this prison flew open. The chains fell off. I don't know how that happened except for God. And the jailer, he comes running because he thinks everyone is gone and he's gonna have an ugly price to pay when the Romans, who is who he worked for, uh, when they find out that all the prisoners have escaped. And so he decides, rather than submit himself to that, he's just gonna take his own life. He's just gonna end it all. But if you remember the story, Paul and Silas, they, they, they yell out to them. We go, whoa, 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 don't do that. We're, we're all still here. And this jailer can't believe it. He, he, he comes in there and, he, and he's just like, what is going on? He heard the worship songs. He's seen this act of nature, this act of God take place, and these guys still there. And it's like he looks at them and says, whatever it is that you have, I want. What you are is what I want to be. He saw something in his own life that was lacking, some hope, some joy, some life beyond what he could imagine. And so he asked this question. This is our very first question in this series. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have what you have? And it's a question of hope. And it's a question of desire for something deeper and for something more. Now, the question we're going to look at today sounds kind of similar to that. And we're going to read about it in 2 Kings chapter 6. And the question goes like this, what will we do now? What will we do now? Now, you see the similarity because there's still this what do I do element to it, right? What do I do? But this question that we're going to see in 2 Kings doesn't come out of hope. It doesn't come out of a desire for something better and something more. This question comes out of fear. This question comes from a place of desperation. And I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that in these past 18 months, you've maybe had a little bit of that, or maybe a lot of it. That sense of, what do I, what do, I do now? This, this pandemic has knocked everything out of whack right for a year and a half politics seem crazier than ever and we try to navigate our way through that and sometimes we feel like there's there's just no win there's just no way to to do it well there there there's there's no maybe you just feel like no one even represents you anymore I mean it's just that crazy kind of place and it seems that permeating our culture is this sense of mistrust, and you see it in social media and you see it in the news there 's this sense of almost almost anger or or desperation and we see the economy in in a in a weird place and maybe you 've thought, "What do we do now like how how do we get through this what What in the world do I do? What kind of step do I take i mean is it and maybe you've even been asking, you know, do I, do I stay where I am? Do I move to a different place? Do I try to escape? I mean, there's just all these things that I think sometimes run through our heads. But here's the good news, because all that can, can just seem so weighty and hard. But the good news is this, is that God has an answer for you. He has, now listen to this, peace and security for you and for me as well. He has a sanctuary, a safe place for us to dwell and to live in. And yes, things can be crazy all around us. All this can still be swirling. But there is this sanctuary that he has for us. And maybe it comes out of this question that we're going to read. What do we do now? Like, how, how does this happen? So in 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to dive into the story. And I'm going to give you, just to start, a little bit of the back story. So there's this guy, his name is Ben-Hadad, and he's the king of Syria. And he's the arch enemy of the Israelites. Now he's invaded Israel on several occasions. He's come in to, to pillage and steal and to enslave and to do all those things. And every time he brings his army and he's ready to strike, like he's got his battle plans in place, the king of Israel would receive a warning. And so he would withdraw his people and his resources to different places. So imagine what happens. This this King Ben-Hadad, he would get him ready and he would rush in. And where he expected the army to be, where he expected his enemy to be, where he expected to really win the battle, there's nothing there. And he's super frustrated. He doesn't even know what to do with this. In fact, it happened so often that Ben-Hadad looked to the, his kind of circle of advisors, his generals and his battle lords and all this, but he looked to them and he thought, somebody's a traitor. Somebody has given up, in, I've got a spy in my camp. So he gathered those leaders together and he threatened them and he said, which one of you is the traitor? Now, here's the deal. If a king is asking you that question, you are in hot water. You are not in a good place. And all of them looked around and and they said, "We, we aren't traitors. We haven't given anything up because they'd heard something. And this is what they told the king. The problem is that there's this prophet and his name is Elisha. And he's the one who's telling the king of Israel what to do. He even goes so far as this. They they said, it's like he hears the secrets we whisper even in our bedrooms. Like he's that in tune with what's going on. So this king decides right then and there that he's going to take Elisha out. So if you're in 2 Kings chapter 6, look at verse 9. The king commanded, go and find out where he is so I can send troops to seize him. It's like, we're now not in a battle with a country. We're in a battle with one guy. And we're going to find out where he is, and we're going to take him out. Now, what was Elisha doing? Well, Elisha was simply doing what God had called him to do. He was secure in what he was accomplishing and what the steps that he was taking, what he was doing. And he found sanctuary right in the middle of a panic situation. So, of course, that leads us to the question, how do we find that kind of sanctuary? If the question we're going to see in a couple of minutes is, what do we do now? What, what do we do now to find safety and security? God has good news for us. So I'm going to give you a couple of things. I want you to write it down. The first is this. I have security when I choose God's agenda over my own. I have security when I choose God's agenda, his way, his direction, his plan over my own. Now, Elisha, in case you don't know about him, he was a major figure in the Old Testament. He was a prophet. He was also a farmer. So he had come just from kind of a regular life. He had just been kind of doing his business and God called him to be a spokesperson, a spokesman for him. Now, the Bible also makes another interesting point about Elisha. It makes a point in 2 Kings 2 that Elisha was bald. Now, I make this point because it's near and dear to my own heart. It says that one day in 2 Kings 2 that a bunch of teenagers were making fun of Elijah being bald. I mean, they're like calling him names and because of his baldness. And so Elisha turns to them and he curses them. And you know what happens? Two bears come out of the woods and they maul 42 of these teenagers just for making fun of him. So, the only reason I tell you that is just giving you some biblical guidance and a warning do not make fun of bald pastors, okay? Just saying. Just some, some word of wisdom for you, okay? So, 50 years, 50 years he spends as a prophet speaking God's message to God's people. And he had the opportunity to impact four nations. So we had this ordinary guy came from farming and agriculture to be used in this extraordinary way. Why did all that take place? It was because he chose God's agenda. He chose God's direction. He accepted God's invitation. And he did that rather than pursue his own agenda. See, here's the reality. When we connect to God's direction, invitation, and agenda, we're, we're stepping into a different kind of journey. And it's not going to be about business success or academic success or, 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 or looking good or having the newest and best thing. It doesn't mean those things won't happen. But his agenda transcends the agenda of this world. But for you and I, when we decide to push aside all of that that, that God has for us, we're, we're going to kind of reject his ways. And It's like, yeah, that, that sounds nice. I believe in you, God. I mean, going to church is nice and, and doing all those things is nice. But I'm going to do what's right for me. I'm going to choose what I think is best and right and good rather than what you say. Because your Bible, your book is, I mean, it's it's an ancient text, but I'm living here in in 2021 trying to figure out how to navigate all this. So I'm just simply going to do it my way. And when we do that, we are venturing into only having our wisdom, only having our strength, and only living with really... uh, a facade of control. Because we don't really control anything. You can't control the next 60 seconds of your life. You have no idea what could happen. I can't either. That's just, that's just 60 seconds. Not, not to mention six days or six months or six years. I, I have virtually no control but I've been invited into a relationship with the one who knows it all. He created us and he invites us to join him in his work, where he's already at work, what he's already doing, to come to his agenda right here, right now. In Ephesians 2.10, the Apostle Paul wrote this, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now I want you to catch the impact of that. Paul says we are God's masterpiece. We are one we of a kind work of art. He loves how he made you and he loves how he made me. Now we may look at ourselves and think, ah, I wish I was that and wish I didn't have that. That's kind of human nature to do that. But God looks at us not as perfection because we are imperfect people, but he looks at us and he loves how he designed and made you, the personality that you have and the gifts and abilities and skills. He loves the way you think and respond and and laugh. He loves who he made you to be. But we find the fulfillment of that, the fullness of that in Christ Jesus. He goes, he created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we've been made a new creation, a new people, a new individual fully embracing all that he originally made us to be. Why does he do that? Because he has good things for us. He has a plan. He has an agenda for our lives, not to micromanage us, but to guide us and to lead us. And this plan was made long ago. Isn't that an incredible thing to come to terms with? That God has done advanced preparation for your life and for mine. He has prepared in advance the best direction for relationships and family and school and career. And you may think, ah, but I want to I do something. I want to go out of my But to be the, the best you, to be the true you that God created, he has a plan for you. And it's not this, again, micromanaging. It's actually showing us how special and how blessed and how cared for we are by our Heavenly Father. He's prepared in advance for us. Have you ever been to a meeting that doesn't have an agenda? It's excruciating. That's why most of us hate meetings, because we just feel like we spin our wheels and we go chasing down rabbit trails and talking about a million things that don't apply. And for most of us who have been in a meeting, it's like, can we just get to the point, right? We like to know, here's what we're going to do. Well, all of us are in this huge meeting called LIFE. And we often miss the fact that God has an agenda, a plan, a direction for us to follow. Well, what is his agenda? Well, it's multifaceted, but I can give you a few things. Part of God's agenda for us is that we would love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would bring all we are into relationship with him. Then he also challenges us In his agenda, to love the people around us. To extend love and grace and mercy and kindness. He he also has an agenda for us to share this good news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus makes us whole. That Jesus died for our sins, that he went to the cross, and that he makes new life possible for each one of us. He wants us to share that. Jesus said it. Go into all the world and share this good news. He wants us to do that. He also wants us to serve one another, not just love with words, but to actually love with actions, to care and to, to reach out, to, to listen with empathy, to serve with hands, to, to, to make a difference in the lives of others. And then we read in the book of Micah, and I shared this with you about a year ago, that his call for us to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly. There's a lot of injustice in the world. How does our voice Stand up into that. What, what do we do when there is injustice? How do we stand for the voiceless? How do we, how do we protect the unprotected? How, how do we share our lives with those who, who have struggled and hurt? How do we love mercy and extend it that way? And we do it not in pride, not to get our name in anything and not to get a pat on the back, but to do it humbly, to walk humbly with our God. Now, the Bible gives us much more about God's agenda, but those are some critical things. And I will tell you this, if we aren't following God's agenda, if we aren't choosing his agenda, then we have an enemy who will do everything he can to make sure that his agenda becomes our map. What is his agenda? In John 10.10, it says this, the thief or the enemy's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And then Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. So the enemy's plan for us is to steal and kill and destroy. And guess what? He doesn't just want to do that to us. He wants to do it through us so that we become agents of pain and woundedness. We become the agents who who steal and kill and destroy. And that may not be physically. It may be emotionally. It may be relationally. But he wants that to happen through us. He's got an agenda for us too. But Jesus said, my agenda, my plan is to give you a rich and a satisfying life. And you have been invited by our heavenly father himself to follow the only plan that will give you peace and security and also engage your gifts and abilities to the fullest extent. And it's God's agenda. The temptation of Jesus in the desert was all about agendas. Jesus was fathering his following his father's agenda tenaciously. But the the final temptation, the evil one's agenda was to pull Jesus away. Well, as we go back to our story, we see that Elisha made a decision with his life to simply follow God. No matter what his enemies would do or how they would respond or what they would say, he was only interested in pleasing the one who made and created him. What about you? Who are you most interested in pleasing? People? Man, if, you're, if your goal is to be a people pleaser, and we probably all have some of those tendencies, I know I do, but I'll tell you that is a, that is a tough and a never-ending cycle and you'll never do it. Or could our focus be to lean in and trust completely the one who's already on our side the one who already calls us a masterpiece, the one who has already created a direction, a plan, and an agenda to you, for you to live that rich and satisfying life. I know where my choice is. Write this down for number two. I find peace when I seek God's presence. So we're actually gonna get to, to read the question now. Now remember, in this story, Israel was always one step ahead of the Syrian army. And the king, this Ben-Hadad, went ballistic when his men told him that Elisha was the one who was spearheading Israel's battle strategy. So through their kind of spy network, the Syrian army discovered that Elisha was in a little town called Dothan. And they decided to march all night and surround this city where Elisha was staying so that they could take him out. Look at verse... Six, uh, 15, 2 Corinthians, six, second, ah, I'll get this right. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. It says this, when the servant of the man of God, now let me pause that for a second. It's a pretty important statement. When the servant of who? The man of God. Doesn't even doesn't even say his name. He was just the man of God. I read that and I thought, how would people describe me I know maybe we don't use those terms, but how would people describe you? Would they say you're a person of success, means, education? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I want to be known when it's all said and done as a man of God. As a man of God. So let's go back. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Here's the question. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Now let me paint the picture a little bit. Maybe it was still a little bit dark. sun starting to come up. This guy is having his morning coffee as he watched the sun kind of come over the city. And what he saw absolutely freaked him out. He was expecting to see maybe hillsides and, you know, a beautiful morning. But what he saw was an army with horses and chariots and weapons. He saw all this surrounding the city where he and Elisha were staying. And in verse 15, it says, he bursts into Elisha's room. He cried out, what will we do now? What will we do now? I'm telling you, it's the cry of our culture. We see all that's going on around us and we say, what do we do? It's the cry of fear and hopelessness and despair. And we've all felt it at times. But listen to the response in verse 16. Elisha told him, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now, I'm just going to kind of put myself into the servant's shoes here for a moment. But I'm sure he was probably thinking, no, no. That's not how it is. Can you please come to the window just for a moment? Because I don't think you're awake enough yet to realize what has happened. We are surrounded by the enemy. There is no way out. There is no solution here. I don't believe Elisha was always cool and collected. He was human, so I'm sure he had insecurities and fears and struggles. I know we all do. But Elisha knew something, and he saw something that his servant couldn't see. Have you ever watched a replay of a game winning home run or a shot or a touchdown or, or maybe it's a movie you've seen before that has a really tense, maybe twisted ending. And it's just kind of like, wow, the first time you saw it, it just, it just blew you away. When you watch those things in real time, it, it's like a nail biter. Maybe you don't know how the movie's gonna end or you don't know how the game is gonna end or are they gonna win or or they're gonna lose. But when you watch the replay, when you've already seen it before, isn't it amazing how all the fear and all the nail biting goes away? You don't sit there and go, oh man, this is so tense. You can relax a little bit. Why? Because you already know how it ends. You already know the outcome because you've seen it before. Well, Elisha could see something. I don't know if he'd seen this all play out. It doesn't say that at all. But it was almost like he'd seen it. There was something here that his servant was missing. So look at verse 17. It says, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And look at this. When he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. What did he see now? He saw God's army surrounding this pitiful little human army. And suddenly it was like, oh, I thought it was us against this army. But I realized the battle's not even mine. There's an army so much bigger and so much more powerful that is already in play. He began to see things as they really were. The the servant didn't realize that he was living in the presence and the power of God. And nothing is as powerful as being in the presence of God, of knowing that you are not in this alone. I'll tell you, when God opens our eyes, everything changes. I've talked to so many people who say, when I finally decided to trust and follow God, everything changed. I see myself and I see my family and I see this situation differently. And so often we read the Bible or we go to church and we hear about the presence of God. But then we do life and we have no idea that the one that we're reading about, the one that we sing songs and worship about is right here with us. And his presence changes every situation. My marriage, my career, my school, my conflict, my addiction, my struggle. It's too big. What will I do? Well, I'm praying that God will open your eyes to see that he is with you, that you are not alone and that his strength is enough. That his power is beyond what you can imagine, that he is a good father who heals and restores and brings peace and safety, and you will find it in no one else. Psalm 46, David wrote, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and let him open your eyes to see the true reality around you. That it is not you against your situation, but the strength and the power of God is for you. And in that, you find his peace. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much that you are the God, you are the Father who is, who is so much more than we can even imagine. And we sometimes see our situations and it seems overwhelming and we're outnumbered and everything's too hard and too big. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you at work all around us and that you you absolutely outmaneuver and you dwarf any opposition that comes against us. And in that, Lord, we can take a deep breath and we could be at peace Because we are in a sanctuary, we are in a safe place, not in a location or an address, but we are in a safe place with you. Lord, I pray for each person watching, each person listening, that they would find that peace and that place of safety in you today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us for This weekend's online experience, I want to invite you to come join us live. We have our services at 9 and 1030 on Sunday mornings. And uh, as we start getting back to normal, I think you'd find the actual experience of being together as like, oh, I've missed that. So we'd love to have you come, love to have you join us. Have a great week.